0: Well, good morning. It is such a joy to be here on this beautiful Lord's Day morning with each of you. God has been so kind to us, hasn't he, to let us live in a country where we can openly gather to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Well, we will be continuing... We will be continuing our study through this wonderful book of Ephesians, so I would invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. And for the next three weeks, we will be doing a deep dive into this amazing prayer in verses 14 through 21. Now, the sermon today will focus on the beginning of this prayer in verses 14 through 17a, But I want to read all the way through verse 21 so we can get the context and experience the beauty of this prayer. However, before I read the text, I want to share with you why this text is so precious and meaningful to me. About a year and a half ago, I was meeting with the preacher's cohort, and we were discussing John Frame's chapter on providence in his systematic theology. And this is probably one of my all-time favorite chapters in this book because Frame just does a masterful job showing the Bible's teaching on the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. And he just quotes verse after verse after verse. And by the time you're done reading the chapter, you are just overwhelmed by the greatness and glory of our God. There truly is None like him, and he rules and he reigns over all. So, as we were talking about this chapter together, David Woolen asked a thought provoking question about how do we feel about God's sovereignty in our lives? Is God's control over our lives a source of comfort or of frustration to us? Do we struggle believing? He is in control of every detail of our lives. And as I thought about that question, I realized that I don't doubt God's control over my life. What I struggled with was his goodness. I knew he was sovereign over my life. What was harder for me to believe was that he was truly good and loving. And as I shared this with the other men in the cohort, they began to lovingly ask questions and help draw out my heart. And as I talked and interacted with them, I began to realize that my heart had grown suspicious of and maybe even a little fearful of God. After all, in 2014, God had taken my beloved mom home to be with him, and then just two short years later, he took my dad. In my mid to late 20s, I had experienced the loss of both of my wonderful parents, and I began to wonder what other suffering will be next. What would God have in store for me in my 30s or my 40s, my 50s, 60s, 70s? What other hardships would God bring into my life? And so little by little, my heart had grown suspicious. Of God, Instead of trusting and resting in his wise and good providence, I began to grow suspicious and even a little fearful of him. Who or what would he take from me next? My sweet wife? My precious children? My health? And as I unburdened my heart to my brothers in the cohort, they so lovingly and patiently listened. They sympathized with me and shared their own struggles with trusting God's heart toward them. And then they wisely and gently helped me to see that what I needed was not more information about God's love. What I needed was to personally know and experience the love of God more deeply. I needed to know deep down in the core of my being, my Father's loving heart toward me. And so they pointed me to this prayer here at the end of Ephesians 3 and encouraged me to make this prayer my prayer. And so for over a year and a half now, this prayer has become my prayer. I love this prayer. I have been asking God to help me know just how much he loves me. And even though my heart can still struggle with doubts and fears, God has been so faithful to assure me Of his deep, deep love for me. And I know he will continue to do that throughout the rest of my life, come what may. So let's look together now at this precious prayer in verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his grace and glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the length and width, height and depth of God's love? And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this this is our prayer to you. We need you to work in us. Strengthen our inner beings with your power. Do this through your precious Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That's what we need more than anything this morning. We need to know in deeper and richer ways, the length and width, height and depth of your love for us. Father, you are able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, so we ask that you would work powerfully in us now through your word and by your spirit. And do this, we pray, so that Christ Jesus will receive all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, like I mentioned earlier, this prayer is just too good to tackle in one sermon. So for the next three weeks, we'll be letting our hearts soak in this wonderful passage. So over the next few weeks, I would encourage you to read these verses over and over again and make them your prayer for yourself and for our church. I promise you, you will not regret it, and your heart and our church will be eternally enriched Because of it. So let's get into this text this morning, shall we? We'll be looking at verses 14 through 17a. And notice how verse 14 begins for this reason. Now, this immediately begs the question what reason? And in order to answer this question, we have to go back to chapter 2. Because if you remember from last week, Pastor David pointed out that verses 1 through 13 of chapter 3 are a digression. Paul has interrupted his train of thought because he's wanting to focus and celebrate on his joy in gospel ministry. However, here though, in verse 14, he is wanting us to connect his prayer with what he has been saying about God's reconciling work back in chapter 2. So look back in your Bibles at chapter 2. In verses 1 through 10, Paul has written about God's gracious reconciling work in saving sinners. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has made us alive together with Christ. By his grace and mercy, he has restored the relationship that our sin had broken with him. And then in verses 11 through 22, we see that this vertical reconciliation with God has massive implications for our horizontal relationships with one another. Through Christ's death on the cross, God has broken down the dividing walls of hostility and brought peace between Jews and Gentiles. So the hatred and the hostility that used to characterize that relationship has been destroyed at the cross. In Jesus Christ, the two groups have become one new man. So this vertical reconciliation has led to horizontal reconciliation, all with the goal of God being able to make his dwelling among his people. So look at what Paul says, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the That's the reason Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. As he writes about God's reconciling work, both vertically and horizontally, he cannot help but break into prayer. And in doing so, I think he provides a wonderful example for us. Bible reading and prayer should always go together. Our prayers should grow out of and be shaped by what we are reading in God's Word. Because it is God's word that reveals God's grace and his promises to us and teaches us what we are to pray for. And so there should always be this back and forth relationship between hearing God speak to us through his word and then speaking back to God in prayer. And this is what Paul does so beautifully in this passage. After proclaiming the remarkable reconciling grace of God, he turns now to asking For God to make these precious gospel truths more real and more powerful in the lives of his readers. However, before we get to the content of his prayer, there are some more important truths we need to learn from the rest of verse 14. Look there again. Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Notice first Paul's posture in prayer. He says, I kneel. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that that is the only way to pray is on our knees. The Bible talks about many different ways people pray, standing, lying face down, hands raised, etc. The point is not so much what your body is doing, but the posture of your heart toward the one you are addressing. In saying, I kneel, Paul is communicating a worshipful, a humble, a submissive posture Before God. He's not being flippant here. He recognizes correctly that he is speaking to the one true and living God, the creator and sustainer of all things. However, notice how he describes this great God that he kneels before. He says, I kneel before the Father. The Father. The name Father communicates warmth and acceptance. It assures us of access to Him, of His loving and tender heart toward us, His beloved children. Think about it. Who are the people in your lives, if you're a parent, who have no problem walking into your bedroom at two in the morning and waking you up because they need something? It's your kids. And it's that kind of access that children have to their fathers that is but a small picture of the kind of access we have to our Heavenly Father. When Jesus taught us to pray, do you remember what he said? He said, pray this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus wants us to understand the nature of the relationship God wants to have with us. God is our good, good father, and we are his children whom he loves and delights in. And this relationship is not something we have earned or deserved, but it is a gift of God's grace. God is the one who reconciled us to himself. He is the one who found a way to destroy our sin without destroying us. It was his idea to make us his children and welcome us Into his very own family. Do you remember what Paul has said back in chapter 1? In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, In love, the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You see, God's eternal plan was to adopt us into his family as his precious children. So what Paul is doing in verse 14 is he is weaving together some beautiful, wonderful truths about God. God is glorious and magnificent, great and highly to be praised, worthy of all of our worship and adoration. And yet he is also our loving Father who welcomes us into his very presence with open arms. And so we kneel In humble worship, overwhelmed by both the majesty and the mercy of this great God. But Paul's not done describing our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now there are a couple ways that this can be understood and both are theologically true. First, some think that Paul is speaking about God's general fatherhood over all people. In other words, Paul is highlighting the fact that every single person ultimately has their origin in God as creator. He is the one from whom all people come. And this is, of course, wonderfully true. God is the sovereign creator of all things, and there is not one person who does not owe their existence to him. However, I don't think that is the point Paul is making here. Rather, I think Paul is speaking more specifically of God's special fatherhood of all believers. In other words, Paul is referring to all God's children, the church, both those here on earth and those already in heaven. And I think this understanding best fits the context of this whole passage. Because as we saw earlier, Paul has just finished talking about God's reconciling work, in chapter 2, and how the result of that is that we now have access in one spirit to the Father, and we are members of God's household. So because of what God has accomplished through Christ's death on the cross, He has made all believers, whether Jew or Gentile, into one big family with Him as their Father, So it's now not their ethnic or religious or cultural background that ultimately defines them. It's who they have as their father that ultimately defines them. And this was powerfully illustrated for me by one of my former professors, Dr. Randy Stinson. He was sharing in class one day about an interaction he had with one of his adopted children about them adding another adopted child to their family. And he shared that his daughter pointed out that her country of origin was at war with the country of origin of the child they were hoping to adopt, and she was concerned about their ability to get along. And Dr. Stinson told her, sweetie, that doesn't matter. Her last name will be Stinson. I love that. The point he was making is that what matters most is not the country she is from, But who her father is. She will be named a Stinson and will thus be a full fledged member of the family. And I think this is the point that Paul is making here. It does not matter what our background is or isn't when we come to Christ, all Christians are given a new name when they are brought into the family of God. God becomes our Father, and our identity is first and foremost grounded in our relationship to Him. And it's this that gives the church its unity across cultural or ethnic or social lines. And God's family is so big that it includes all the saints who have gone before us and all those who will come after us. God's family is massive and made up of people from every tribe, tongue, people And nation. And so the implication for us today is one we've been seeing for the past several weeks. It's to let our identity as children of God be more important than anything else. What the world so desperately needs is to see a diverse group of people coming together around their shared identity as beloved children of the Father. You see, it's our love and our unity that will provide a compelling and attractive living illustration of the power of the gospel to a watching world. But this is not something we can achieve in our own strength, is it? We need God's power, and thankfully, God is more than willing and eager to give it. Look at verses 16, and let's see what Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that the Father may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. So Paul's prayer for his readers focuses on a request for the Father to grant them to be strengthened with power. He knows that they need power and God is just the right one to give it. He has this limitless supply of majestic might and he is incredibly generous. He gives according to the riches of his glory. And he does this through the ministry of his precious Holy Spirit. But notice where Paul says we experience the Spirit's strengthening power at work in our lives. He prays that we would be strengthened with power In our inner being. Now, this has been a particularly helpful truth for me to meditate on these past couple of weeks. And many of you have helped me see the beauty and the truthfulness of this verse. You see, one of the great joys of my role here at the church is to be involved in providing pastoral care for those of you who are struggling and going through hard times. And what I have the joy of seeing over and over and over again as I talk with you and pray with you is that even though our outer bodies are struggling and our physical circumstances may be incredibly difficult, your inner beings, your hearts, are responding with incredible faith and hope in God. And I want you to know that that is not normal. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit's strengthening power at work in each of you. And time and time again, my own faith is strengthened and encouraged as I witness the Holy Spirit's work in each of you. So let me share with you just a few examples. Recently, I was talking with a brother who has been facing a series of very difficult circumstances. He shared with me that every morning he prays and refocuses his heart on God. He said, I have to start the day trusting God because that's the only way I can get through the day. That's the power of God's spirit at work in his life. Here's another story. Last week, I was taking a dear sister to the hospital because of COVID complications. And as we pulled up to the emergency room, we took a moment to pray together before going in. And through her labored breathing, she expressed her fears and anxieties to the Lord and then entrusted herself to his loving and faithful care for her. That's the Holy Spirit at work in her to strengthen her inner being. And in talking with a dear friend last week, we were sharing some of our struggles and fears together. We talked about our growing sense of our body's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. That even though we are both only in our 30s, we are becoming more and more aware that the trajectory our bodies are on is not going up, but going down. And some of you are thinking, just hold on, it gets faster. (laughs) The thing is, physical weakness, struggle, hardship, these are inevitable. There's no escaping them. And yet, as me and my friend talked honestly about these struggles, we were also able to encourage each other with the truth of this passage. Yes, our outer beings will grow weak and eventually die. We are not guaranteed protection from sickness and pain and suffering. However, no matter what may be happening in our outer being, our inner being is being strengthened by the very power of God through his spirit. Thus, we do not need to despair. Instead, we can actually rejoice in the strengthening work of God's spirit in our inner lives today and look forward in faith to the resurrection of the dead when God's power will not only strengthen our inner beings, but will completely transform our bodies with his resurrection power. This truth makes all the difference in the world. No matter what you may be facing, you do not have to face it in your own strength. The inexhaustible power of God is at work in your inner being. And I love how Paul talks about this truth in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we do not give up Christian, we do not give up. Why? Because even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen. No, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's fleeting. It won't last. But what is unseen is eternal. What a blessing it is to be a Christian, to know that even as our outer bodies waste away, our inner beings are being renewed by God's power. And this completely transforms the way we view our lives. So with eyes of faith, With eyes of faith, we begin to see that the glory that awaits us in the new creation far outweighs the sufferings and hardships that we experience in this life. And therefore, we do not give up. We do not lose heart. We keep persevering in faith through the power of God's Spirit at work in us. And if you are not a Christian here today, I would plead with you to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today. Ask God to make your inner being come alive through his spirit so that you can begin to experience his power at work in your life as well. Oh, please, please don't put your hope in this life only. This life will not last Eventually, fame and wealth and beauty and health will pass you by. Put your hope in God. He will not ever disappoint you. Well, so far we've seen that Paul is praying to God the Father and asking him to strengthen the Christians with power in their inner beings through his Holy Spirit. So let's look now at verse 17 and see the glorious reason why these Christians need their inner beings strengthened. It's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the goal of the Spirit's strengthening work in our lives. The Spirit strengthens our inner beings so that we can experience in greater and greater ways the presence of, Of the living Christ at work in us. Think of it this way the glory, the wonder, the love, the grace, the power, the majesty of Christ is just too much for us to bear in our own strength. It would overwhelm us and crush us. So, what we need is the Spirit of God to buttress our hearts to be able to take in and experience the power of the living Christ in us. And this is not just something that happens when we first trust in Christ. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians, people who have already experienced union with Christ through faith. So what does he mean when he prays for Christians that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith? The key is found in the word dwell. What Paul is getting at here is not the idea of Christ arriving, but of settling in of making himself at home in our hearts. It's the difference between staying at an Airbnb and moving into your new home. When you stay at an Airbnb, you don't paint the walls, hang pictures, and rearrange the furniture. At least you shouldn't do that. Why? Because it's not your home. You're just visiting. However, when you buy a house, That's completely different. Once you sign the papers and close on your home, you move into the house. You bring in your things and you begin to make it your own. You might tear out a wall here, switch out the window coverings there, repaint the walls, change the flooring. This is because you aren't just visiting the place. You have moved into the place. It's become your home. And that's what this word dwell means. It means that Christ is making his home in our hearts through his spirit. And I love how one author illustrates this. He writes this, When the spirit of Christ moves in, he gradually redecorates everywhere. Room by room, the horrible old wallpapers of selfishness are replaced with a brand new wallpaper called love. The old ceilings, darkened by fear of death, are repainted with bright colors of hope in the resurrection of Christ. The filthy old carpets stained by years of immorality are replaced with clean new carpets of purity and kindness. And the rickety old furniture of idolatry is gradually replaced with sparkling new ministries that worship Jesus. This, this is what Paul is praying for. He knows that his readers need, more than anything else, is a greater awareness of the presence of Christ in their lives. Because the more they come to know the presence of Christ in their lives, the more they will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length of and width, height, and breadth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And this, this is what God's people so desperately need. We need to know in deeper and richer ways the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, his son. It is so, so easy for us to doubt God's love for us, isn't it? Our own sin and guilt can make us question how God could even love us. The hardships and the sufferings we face as our outer bodies waste away can make us wonder, does God even care about me? And of course, our enemy is actively working, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to sow seeds of doubt in your heart about God's love and care for you. So, what we need, what we need is for our loving Heavenly Father to strengthen us with His power through His precious Holy Spirit so that we can come to know and experience the loving presence of Christ at work in us. And this is exactly what our good and gracious God is more than happy and able to do. So over these next few weeks, dear church, and throughout the rest of our lives, let's commit, let's commit together to kneeling before our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and praying, praying that he would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in our inner beings through his precious Holy Spirit, so that Christ Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith.